then we'll dive into God's word together. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grand privilege that it is ours to gather together as your children to study your word this morning. Lord, we're delighted to be able to do that as a family. The most precious times of the year for our biological family, Lord, are times we can gather together at Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or birthdays and enjoy each other's company and feast together. Lord, our, those gatherings are essential to our family's existence. And Lord, for our spiritual family, the body, the church, these times of diving into your word and feasting on the milk and the meat of it are just as essential for this family. And we, we do that as part of our worship, as you are worthy of our worship as our creator, our savior, our sustainer. As we learn of your heart and your will from your word this morning, may we each one and then collectively meditate upon, be faithful hearers, apply that word which is your will, and then in turn be faithful doers as we depart this morning and head into a new week. We thank you so much, Lord, again, for just the blessed encouragement that the Lord's day is to each one of us, to worship you, to be around your people, to entice one another to love and good deeds, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. We look forward to doing that, not just the remainder of this hour, but again this evening around your table. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles. Luke chapter 6. For those of you who are guests, we typically do one book at a time. And we just finished the book of Job a few weeks ago. And I've had a few sermons on my heart and on my mind for some time. And um, the last couple weeks together, I've been just kind of sharing these words from the Word of God in relationship to how God's grace is really being demonstrated in each one of your lives. It's a blessing to be able to do that as a pastor. I know it might seem somewhat unique, and it might be, seem something that's a little bit different than what you're used to, maybe another church you visited or been a part of, and it certainly is different than what we're used to that we're headed back to in our next book study in the Gospel of John. But for just a few weeks here, I want to share with you what's on my heart, and I'm glad that you're still coming. Uh, folks, we've got over 50, 50 souls that are not with us this morning because they're not feeling well or they're traveling. So let's remember to pray for these folks. As you look around, you might not see somebody. They may need your prayer this morning, uh, that they would be healed um, or be safe uh, as they travel. And um, So remember, pray for these folks. And that's just the who I know of that have contacted me for prayer, and there's probably more. So let's keep our body in prayer. And uh, congratulations to uh, the Dishour family for the birth of little Grant. 
I don't know that they're here this morning, but uh, congratulations to uh, Evan and Sarah and their first little one in their home and other family members here who have been grandparented again or aunted or uncled again um, or niece or nephewed again. Uh, congratulations to you folks. Continue to remember to pray for uh, Karen Wong as she recovers from her surgery, Rick Ramura from his, and Carrie as she endures uh, her battle uh, with cancer. And um, all these folks need a prayer. So, I want to talk to you about how uh, you've been a blessing to our flock in relationship to God's grace developing you in a relationship to your speech. Your speech. Did you know that by the time you say good morning to the last good night of your day, the average person engages in about 30 different conversations? Some average more or less, but the average person, 30. Did you know that the average lifespan is 72 years old? That you would have spent 13 years of your life just talking? As a matter of fact, just your speech or your talking in everyday life, our words could write a book of 50 to 60 pages a day. And in a year, if we're just average, we could author 264 books of over 200 pages each with just our words. And that's for people who talk slowly. For people like Pastor Steve who definitely speak in excess of 300 words a minute. He could write a lot of books. I see a documentary coming. All right. I don't know why this is a world, world record book thing, but I guess it's a thing. There's this guy named Kevin Sheenham, Pennsylvania, back in 1955, who thought he'd try to set the world book record for how many hours in a row a person could talk. Somehow, he talked for 133 hours straight. And then some other dude in 1975 thought he could one-up him, and he did. And this guy named Tim Hardy from Minnesota he talked for 144 hours straight. Then there's this lady named Mary Davis. A few years later, she thought she would beat them both. But the number of words spoken in a short amount of time. So she decided to drive from Buffalo, New York all the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and 110 hours later, she was still talking. Why people do these things are... <laughs> apparently, there's way too much discretionary time in their lives, and, and they just want to have an identity, I guess. 
There was an astronaut, Michael Collins, that was reading not long ago all of these statistics. He was speaking some time ago at a banquet, and he estimated that the average man, male, speaks 25,000 words a day, and the average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. And I thought that was kind of like, I thought like ladies would be a lot more, a lot more, and guys would be a lot less because we're just not good communicators, dudes and dudettes. And then he made the comment in his speech, unfortunately, when I come home each day, I've spoken my 25,000 words and my wife hasn't started hers yet. <laughs> so, end of that story of those factoids I've read in my past and uh, from books to sermons and everything else. So, most of us talk quite a bit and that's okay. As a matter of fact, for as much as we talk, it's quite amazing how little the New Testament addresses speech. There's 260, cha 260 chapters in the New Testament divided into 7,959 verses and roughly 184,600 words. The New Testament is all words and speaking and words have meaning, but for as many words that there are in the New Testament, there's just very few times where writers directly address the topic of speech itself. If I were to ask you where some New Testament authors mention talking, you probably could come up to a couple, couple verses if you know your Bibles well. And there are places where speech is used to, to minister grace towards another church family member or among Christians. I tried to write that statement very clearly because every time a genuine believer who's walking with the Lord speaks, it's always an opportunity of grace. Even in Galatians 6, 1 and 2 and Matthew 18, 15 to 17, these are passages given to us to guide us in helping another person who's spiritually stuck in their lives. Galatians 6, 2 says when we do that, by grace, we're fulfilling the actual law of Christ. Ephesians 4.29, Paul reminds the Ephesian believers that one way you allow grace to help you maintain unity in the church is to make sure that we're not allowing any corrupt communication to proceed out of our mouth. Let no speech that unnecessarily divides relationship come from our mouth, but rather minister grace to the hearer. It's a necessary reminder for all of us in James 1.19 and then verse 26. We're told in verse 19, but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. My dad always taught me quiet waters run deep and my grandmother taught me the less you speak to him, the less you'll have to apologize, and apparently as a kid, I needed to be exhorted that way because I was talking a bit too much and apologizing too much at the same time. James continues with a reminder to those who think themselves to be religious but who struggle with living what they know. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, 
He deceives his own heart, and that man's religion is worthless. The New Testament asks us to use caution when speaking publicly. When we teach the word, we mentioned that last couple weeks. We looked at how the word grace bookends most of the New Testament and how God's grace had been growing you as a flock. James 3, 1 to 12 reminds us of those who teach the word, they just need to be very, very careful with its contents. James chapter 3 also alludes to wide speech as it compares worldly wisdom to godly wisdom. But wisdom from above, James says, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, and wavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Speech is directly addressed in a significant passage in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And there we're told to make sure that our speech is seasoned with salt so that it might have an evangelistic influence on those who don't know Jesus yet. Holy lives in that context who relate with people who need Jesus, the text tells us they will notice the difference in your life in the content of your character and the disposition of your life, your kindness, your love, and the content of your character and the coupled with the disposition will give you an opportunity to share Christ with people who need him. Paul says there, we ought to. We ought to. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. And and there the the word salt isn't coupled with uh, having a healing effect. But if you understand the context there, it simply means that we ought to be conversational. We ought not to be strangers to people who need Jesus. We ought to have relationships with them so that we will continually be speaking until they come to know Christ. So again, without having time to explore each context where our speech is directly addressed, we can at least objectively observe from what we've generally discussed so far that there's just not many verses that bring us face to face with speech in the New Testament. Why so little? Why so little? I think this is a, is, a, is a necessary question to ask at this juncture. I believe Luke addresses the question in Luke chapter 6. Okay? This is Luke's account of the Beatitudes. And look with me in verse 43. Luke chapter 6 and verse 43. We're going to talk about, for the rest of our time this morning, the nature of godly speech the nature of it. Where is it sourced? Where does it come from? And why do we articulate godly speech as his children as we're governed by the Spirit? Jesus says, "For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not 
gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, the saved man, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil, the man who doesn't know Christ, may out of the evil treasure bring forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So that's the answer. Do you see it? What's the nature of good speech? When someone knows Christ as Lord and Savior, with the Spirit's help, they have much more discretion and use more wise words in their daily living. This is grace-filled, grace-governed, grace-sourced speech. In other words, I assume you know the Lord, and therefore I assume all of you are growing and you are probably being taught of the Spirit how to lovingly and wisely speak. Do you know how easy that is for me when I walk into this congregation? It's like a slam dunk for me to be able to just believe, for those who I know, these folks are born again and I know they're growing. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Right? In true Bible-believing Christianity, there's no evaluating being done. There's no, there's no performance ratings being done. Right? In true Bible-believing Christianity, when we gather together as a body, we're a body of saved people. And because we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and because we're indwelt by an omnipotent Holy Spirit, I can guarantee you the Spirit of God is mightily working in your heart every day. So I don't, have, I don't need to, and I don't want to take time taking a pulse of each one of you every day to find out what's wrong with you or what's right with you. I just assume positionally you're right, and so you're practically doing a great job growing. And that's the way it is with the nature of speech. If you're an apple tree, spiritually, you're going to produce good apples, not bad apples. If you're a pear tree, right, you're not going to produce peaches. Jesus said it very clearly. The nature of sound speech is, is sourced in a good heart. A good heart that's been transformed. It's only good because God's good and Christ is good. And when you own him and the spirit of God is governing your life, you just say good things. So it's really that simple. The New Testament addresses proper speech with wisdom like proverbial reminders and in a more rare situation when we need to be helped, the scripture will direct us to correct our speech, but overall, the nature of good speech is quite simple. A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good words. I love all the people in my family, my biological family. I love all the people in my church family. It's never been my goal to micromanage any one soul that knows the Lord Jesus. Right? I'll let the Spirit shepherd them, in particular, if need be. So when I walk into my home, and all of us are home for a holiday, 
I wake up every morning ridiculously thankful that everyone that also wakes up in my home on a holiday morning when everyone's together knows Jesus. I know that's like really, really rare. But for some reason, that's what God's been pleased to do in my house. I wake up every single morning believing that every soul in that home is going to win more spiritual battles than they're going to lose. Because they know Jesus. And they want to be governed by him. But I also know during the course of a holiday, in a packed house, a lot of bustling activities, right? That when we're playing a board game or someone's playing a video game, or the boys start to argue about who's the best basketball player in world history, and for some reason, whether it's LeBron or Michael or Kobe Bryant, why in the world do adult men care that much? Right? And we, we start to blow each other's phones up with statistics and this and that and the other, and it just keeps getting more heated and more heated and more heated. And then someone says something like, really dumb. Like, you're the dumbest person who ever lived. Your basketball IQ is like pre-kindergarten. You know nothing. And I'm sitting at the end of the table. This is happening as everyone's dipping their turkey in their gravy and eating their biscuits. And I'm just sitting there like, wow, we're losing one here. <laughs> but praise God, right? The majority of the day, this is just good speech. Good speech. <laughs> so on to good speech. All right. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. Way too long, many of us have grown up in, in, a, in a conservative form of Christianity that just wakes up every day seeking to find a skunk underneath somebody else's front porch. That's not how Christianity is supposed to work. Okay? Remember I said at the beginning, these are grace-filled opportunities we have to minister grace. Every context where speech is mentioned in the New Testament it is an opportunity for growth. Every single context. And we get to help each other grow. So the spirit indwelt believer will by the spirit's help show love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and self-control in their speech. Folks, I hear this, we hear this kind of loving, joyful, peaceful, long-suffering, patient, gentle, meekness, self-controlled speech among our church family all the time. Your good words to each other over the last three years have kept this church together in our world's most um, difficult time in 100 years. Your grace-driven, grace-sourced speech has done that. So much so, I've been here for 50 years as a person. It's, I think it's the strongest spiritual uh, place, if you will, space, if you will. I've seen it grace since I was a boy. I'm four years old when I first came here. You say, Pastor Tim, really? Yeah, really. 
Since March 2020, I've been eyewitness and ear witness to an overwhelming majority of you choosing by the Spirit's help to love each other well with good words. Good hearts, good trees producing good fruit out of the abundance of your good hearts. You're saying millions of words that minister grace to the body. I've heard you speak healing words to each other. You've shown me cards of encouragement that have been written to you by another member here. And in tears, you've said how timely and how helpful the words in that card have been to your heart. I've seen you stop and pray with someone who is hurting. I've seen you do the same with someone who's elated. I've heard you beg God using words in prayer for wisdom and how you could help another believer here who is hurting and in great need. I've watched you soulless with words, another brother in the Lord here, at the funeral of his mother. I've seen you speak wise words of praise about another deceased husband of another member. And whether they're comforting words to a hurting son, or words of praise about a deceased husband to a hurting wife, you have all been, by God's grace, a balm in Gilead to one another. I've watched you use wise words and everything in your power to make sure a daughter could see her mom, who was told that her mom would pass during the night because of COVID while on a ventilator. I've watched you kneel chairside by a young mother speaking sweet words of comfort and prayer as that mother is trying to actually resuscitate her infant who's dying in her lap back to life, all in their home. We've all heard spoken testimonies of salvation in quite a few baptisms. We'll hear another one, God praise God, this morning. How sweet have the salvation testimonies, the words, the content of saving grace been during these baptisms over the past three years? When the world around us is crazy and many are dying, what a great blessing it is to, how, to hear how God's quickened hearts and made them alive in Christ. Do you remember how sweet it was to actually see a church member in person after we returned from being in quarantine back in March, in April of May of 2020. As we safely kept our distance, I remember some of you loudly speaking words of affection and encouragement across the whole auditorium. Words that would have normally been spoken more quietly face-to-face -face in a non-socially distanced environment were now being somewhat shouted. What a great blessing that was to hear God's people reunite Sourced in grace, speaking encouraging words with tears. We're back with the body. <laughs> the overwhelming majority of you speak words to me, my wife, my children, in the most, of the most wonderful encouragement. You do so to all the pastors and their families here. Do you know what it means to a pastor when you just tell him you're praying for him and his family? It's deeply moving when you genuinely ask how my wife is handling her autoimmune disease. 
When you ask me what it was like to marry both of my boys off last summer to wonderful godly gals, when you tell us you're praying for our son, who was close to losing his sight from a football accident and had to have emergency eye surgery, when you kept asking for months how our, how our daughter was doing, who was enduring an injury during her first year of college track. I've heard you minister the same healing words of grace to our other pastors in literally thousands of ways, and I've watched you minister healing words of encouragement and comfort to people whose families, again, have lost loved ones, and you continue to do that among people in our church who are enduring terminal illnesses and they don't even know if they're going to wake up one day to the next. Many of us participated in so many Zoom meetings over the last three years. Like Zoom is just a new and normal thing we do now, right? Hardly of any of us. I wasn't much familiar with it before 2020. Sunday school Zooms, live stream meetings, live stream services, Microsoft team meetings, Marco Polo videos, FaceTime chats, and on and on and on. Necessary screen time was filled with words of edification, building one another up, and encouragement. Why do you first have the inclination to be so encouraging and uplifting with your words? Because out of the abundance of the heart, you speak. It's sourced in God's saving grace. You have good hearts. You have saved hearts. And those hearts supernaturally, naturally speak good things. So yes, it would be wise to be careful with so few who struggle to be uplifting and encouraging with their words. These are folks who can't or won't assume faith, growth, and build relationships by grace. They're usually folks who tend to be quite judgy, so to speak. They are those who may weaponize their words to tear down, to not build up, but that's not the speech of a good apple tree. Giving a harvest of good apples And I'm more than thankful that the overwhelming majority of folks in our family just build one another up in our most holy faith with good words from good hearts. My goodness, my friends, we need so many good words from good hearts these days. It seems the world's speech is so negative and condemning towards many. It's extremely encouraging to be around you. We need healing and encouraging words more and more. Again, I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, where Paul told the Thessalonian believers, I don't need you to, I don't need to teach you about the love of God, for you yourselves are taught of God how to love one another. Only do what? Increase more and more. Just keep it up, keep going. Again, so little is written 
on good speech in the New Testament because good speech is just the practice of Christians. It should be just as easy for us to speak good words of God's grace as it is for you to breathe. None of you since I started speaking here at 1050 have thought one time about if you're going to take a next breath. Good speech ought to just be natural. It ought to drip off of our tongues, come forth from our lips like a healing salve, a nutrient-rich vitamin that nourishes the soul. And when we speak poorly, boy, it's, it stands out like an ugly weed in a beautiful flower garden, doesn't it? But the flower garden of speech here remains the colorful and breathtaking landscape of our church family, and we praise God's grace for that. It's just natural to speak good things. Remember last week we, we mentioned that sometimes the scripture allows us to notice something of great value much more vividly as it also addresses the opposite. Let's conclude this morning by going over to Matthew 12 and let's look at Matthew's words that are somewhat similar to Luke's words that we read at the beginning. This, is a, this would be the way you would cross-reference if you're a newer believer and you're studying the Gospels and you want to look what each Gospel writer said of Jesus' words and in the context in which they heard them. We call this cross-referencing. Matthew chapter 12. Now we're talking about the nature. Where's all this wonderful speech sourced? Matthew just kind of adds a few more words. Chapter 12 and verse 33. Words do reveal our character. He says there either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. And he's speaking here to people who are not you. Are you with me? We're here this morning because... By God's grace, hopefully you know Jesus. He's speaking to very religious people. And to these religious people, they know a lot about Jesus. They just don't think he's enough to forgive them and to save them and give them joy. Jesus didn't have much patience for these kinds of religious people. And he uses some choice words here that I hesitate to use in my own life. But he calls these religious people a brood of vipers. Hmm. Now, vipers in Jesus' time were easily camouflaged, and they're usually born 20 to 30 at a time, or hatched 20 to 30 at a time. They always traveled in packs, and they blended in. Right? And that's what made them more dangerous. There was a lot of them, and they blended in. No one could really notice who they were until they got bit. And they got bit by their religious words. Right? You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? See, he's getting at the heart, literally, the heart of the matter. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasure. 
what is good and the evil man brings out his evil treasure what is evil but i tell you that every careless word that people speak they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment he's not speaking to you are you with me I'm trying to tell you the nature of that which is good and that which is evil. He's still not speaking to you. That line of Jesus' word has been radically misapplied in a lot of Christian contexts. You are not going to give an account before the Lord for every careless word. The context is brood of vipers. Before the Lord, you stand complete in Christ. <laughs> right? The Lord no longer measures... Whether you have a good spiritual hair day or bad spirit, he doesn't love you any more when you do good. He doesn't love you any less when you have a poor day. He just loves you because he loves Christ in you. So hopefully that'll settle some of your hearts and maybe for some cause you to be a little bit less microscopic in your evaluation of mankind that's saved. But he says in verse 37, by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Now you say that word justified that needs to be understood within its context. You don't get saved because you speak good words. That's going back to what James says, what we said last week. You show your faith by your works. You speak as if you're justified because you speak with grace. This is going to the heart of the matter. Remember, this is, this is what grace does, how grace operates. It transforms, and it, it transforms by the Holy Spirit. All right? You, you, you're on a trajectory of Christ-likeness once you're born again, and we pursue, we pursue good speech because we have been justified. In other words, we're declaring to everybody here, yeah, that justification thing, yeah, that happened to me. God did that. God did that. And his grace is just allowing me to speak graceful things. That's the nature of speech in the Bible. Language created by God Words are gifted to us so that we might have a meaningful relationship with God and with one another. Adam and Eve had the purest of relationships with God, with unbroken, unadulterated, unsullied words of fellowship. I look forward to that someday with my Jesus. They had it. Amen. But God immediately promised a coming Savior as soon as sin came into their lives. For all mankind to look to to understand the influence of grace and in Christ we look to him even today for the forgiveness of our sins and the understanding of God's grace what it means for it to pour out of our mouths from our hearts once we know him remember folks I think this is fascinating that Jesus is the speech of God. He is the logos. He is the living word of God. John chapter 1 and verse 18, John writes, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. Jesus has explained him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My life, 
the words that I'm speaking of grace to you are words of saving grace, healing grace, restorative grace. I am, Jesus said, the explanation of God to all who see me and hear me. We love Jesus' words. You remember the day that the Spirit of God spoke to you and explained Christ to your heart. Do you remember that? That's the day you were born again. You had to have Christ explain to you with words. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Do you know Him? Remember, we just talked a bunch about religious people who knew a lot about him, but they never knew him. Do you, do you, have you ever had someone explain from God's word who Christ is you by using words of faith and hope and love in him? If you don't know him, whoever you came with today, maybe you didn't, let's catch up. Because I want to talk to you about how God's word, using words, explains the word to you who is Christ so that you might know his peace. The souls who personally know Jesus, the explanation to mankind of who God is, are able to speak his goodness out of, the, out of their good hearts because they've experienced Christ by the Spirit's help in their lives. Christ, by the Spirit, has granted us the ability to bear good fruit with our lips. I would say the book that addresses speech the most in all the Bible is probably the book of Proverbs. And can I encourage you to do this? Sometime this week, it'll probably take you a little bit. So sit down and read the whole book of Proverbs in one sitting. I've done this a number of times. The first time I did it, it was just amazing to me. Because every time I sit down and read the book of Proverbs in one sitting, I'll look for a different wisdom theme. But more than a handful of times, I've sat down, read through the whole book in one sitting, and I just underlined, marked, and remarked every verse that talks about good speech. Wow, that's instructive. That's so helpful. And it'll encourage your hearts. Proverbs 15:4: when you speak healing words, you offer others fruit from the tree of life. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12, 25, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word can cheer him up. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 18, Solomon says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit let's pray together with your heads bowed and your eyes closed I just want to again publicly thank each one of you for allowing the God, God's grace to operate in your life as it's been demonstrated in your speech that has been the glue to our existence as we continue to come out of and endure in a world 
that certainly is unable to comprehend what spiritual healing speech is. We spend six days apart from each other, my friends. We have one day together. It's not even a full day, and, and we gather from time to time on Wednesday nights to hang out too. Whether it be by email or text or video chat, video message, in-person contact here, I have nothing to teach you about the love of God in relationship to speech because God's grace has operated in you and through you in wonderful ways through your speech to keep us together and keep us moving forward I would just encourage you increase more and more may being around the people of God be the greatest time of your week your month, your year as we seek to encourage one another because that's just our nature to do so. Until we see the Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the simplicity of your word. I thank you, Lord. You omnisciently know my heart. You know how much the words that have been filled with grace that have been spoken to me have been the healing and the encouragement of my heart. And that which causes me, compels me by your grace to continue to persevere. And they've come from the lips of your saints here among our church family. I thank you for them. I pray, Lord, for our spiritual and physical protection. That we might be constantly overflowing with, with words that are just saturated with practical grace. Because we know they're sourced and saving grace. In Christ's name, amen.